No, we probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't riff about anything because this episode is going to be really long, and we should probably just get into it. Is what I think. I thought about this today, what we were going to riff about, and I decided that this episode is too long to riff about anything. We just need to just need to get into it and get it done, knock it out, so we can get back to what really matters. You know, everything is just a means to an end. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, the best and only It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia-themed Kansas City Chiefs football podcast around. We're brought to you, as always, by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, which you can find online at si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs and on Twitter at Arrowhead Report. We are a week out from training camp, Taylor, so it's probably about time that we start contributing some content to SI again. Don't you think? Maybe we should occasionally contribute content other than this podcast we need the check marks and that's how we get them that's a means to an end my good friend a means to an end we got to start contributing that content so that we can get the check marks so that we can get the fame so that we can get the numbers we can bump this up and we can live the high life you can find us on twitter as well i'm austin you can find me on twitter at real bird lawyer i'm trying to swoop on bird law expert i have reported that account for impersonation i'm trying to swoop in on it it's a locked account it's dead this is taylor his account is at taylor underscore wit and i got the idea from you how's that going for you <laughs> i reported the account that's at taylor wit for impersonation but i wanted to make it clear with twitter when they asked me how I knew they were impersonating me. I said, well, look, they're not really impersonating me, but it's an old 2009 account with one follower and no follows and no, no tweets ever. So like, just give me the account, Twitter, just give it to me. Yeah. Just give it to me. Uh, bird law expert, which I have wanted for a long time. I have coveted is uh, an account that is nine years old. It's protected tweets and they follow two people and they have zero followers. So what are we even doing here? They're squatting on our sweet domain names, well, hopefully we will have some success in getting Twitter to, uh, you know, unlock those for us. We'll swoop in. Maybe we'll have some new accounts for you next week. Probably not, though. But we do have a great show for you guys, as always. And first, we have some announcements. So we announced this last week, but I'm going to just reiterate. DadBot. We've partnered with DadBodT. You can find them on Twitter at DadBodT or DadBodT.com for official it's always Sunny and Chiefs Kingdom merchandise. They've got shirts. They've got the full length as well as the Capri length. Uh, <laughs> You're the only a, person in the universe who says Capri shirts. Okay, it's called a raglan style. Okay, but it's like a three-quarters <laughs> length sleeve with just like a Capri pant is a three-quarter length pant. So it is a Capri oh, I, shirt. I understood they've the reference. Got, it's just you're the only one who's ever made the connection. I love it. Okay. Well, that's what I've got. And I've got one of those coming. So maybe you guys will see that on Twitter when it arrives. It is on its way to my house right now. They've got hats. They've got hoodies. We're also seeing if they can maybe offer like a hard-boiled egg for your desk that says it's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. It's a jumping Uh, off point. It's a jumping off point. We have not put that into production yet, but definitely check them out. And currently, there is a giveaway going on. So if you go to at DadBodT on Twitter, like and retweet and follow DadBod, you are going to be put in a drawing to win one of these shirts for free they are awesome they come in all different colors shapes and sizes now we have the original which is the red with the yellow text that is available on dadbod but he's also created uh ryan the owner has also created several different color combinations for us so if you're interested uh stay tuned we're gonna have probably a discount code coming next week but if you want it right now the prices are very reasonable go ahead and get that ordered taylor we're also trying to desperately win an award. Can you tell the people about the award that we are trying to win? Or we are. Win? We are. As everyone knows, the pitch, Kansas City Publication, has a yearly award for basically everything in Kansas City. Uh, there is a category for best local podcasts. So I figured we've got listeners. We might as well throw our, throw our hats in the ring. So if you go to vote.thepitchkc.com and then you browse to their arts and entertainment section, there is a section to vote for the best local podcast. If you could be a doll and type in It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, all we want is the nomination. Obviously winning the award would be dope, but we know that there are a lot of good competition for that. So we just want to be in the finalists. Well, go, go ahead and go nominate us. Yeah, we're desperately trying to get nominated for an award is what we're trying to do. So <laughs> definitely right. go to the pitch 
and vote for us. Uh, the Fantasy League. We have our inaugural It's Always Sunny and Chiefs Kingdom Fantasy League up and running. It is a relay redraft league there are 14 teams everyone has been selected they have rsvp'd they are in the league if any of them don't pay i will kick them out and invite our alternates who have not been notified yet but if there becomes an opportunity for me to do that i'll do that thanks everybody who's interested we had overwhelming interest in the listener fantasy league apologies to those who do not make it in but stay tuned because we're going to do a dfs daily fantasy league this year that will be open to everybody you can all play we can all do the dfs together and since we're just going to play together as a podcast family you won't be losing your money to some jackass in vegas who's playing like a thousand entries in the dfs millionaire maker contest now you won't win a million dollars if you win this league but it'll be fun and stay tuned for that i'm going to tweet out the deets so this week's show taylor we've got some news We've got training camp coming up in a week, so we're going to talk about training camp hype trains. We've got a little mailbag seg. We've got a little ask ourselves anything. Love that segment. Me too. It's the best. We ask such good questions. And then we're going to close this out with a draft. We're going to draft It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I almost said in Cheese Kingdom. (laughs) Episode titles. Now, we could draft It's Always Sunny in Cheese Kingdom episode titles. We've had a few good ones of those, too. Maybe we'll have to draft that next week. That would be very meta. We're going to get into the So Taylor, we've been pushing the Melvin Ingram to the Chiefs uh, train for a while. He, He actually visited the Chiefs like the first or second week of free agency really early on. It's not going to happen. He signed with the Steelers. And the very next day, the Chiefs did make a move. They did sign an edge rusher. And it's a guy that we've seen before. Alex Okafor returns to the Chiefs for a one-year deal. He rejoins Kansas City. He obviously has played here the last two seasons. And he's back. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I like his fit. I, I think, obviously, if the Chiefs, they've they've seen as much of Okafor as any team in football, and they were comfortable enough to re-sign him. A um, little disappointed that Melvin Ingram chose the aging Steelers and especially the aging Ben Roethlisberger over the next four Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Like, I just feel like it, I I don't know what Ingram was thinking, but, um, you know, you move on. There have been a lot of fish in the sea that the Chiefs haven't, haven't yeah. caught. And he struck out on quite a few guys this year. And he's just one of them. And he's just one of the many free agents that are going to regret their decision. That's fine. If the Chiefs want to use a little motivation for that. Um, I did see that the Steelers had entertained the idea of bringing in Justin Houston and didn't end up doing that. I don't know if maybe depending on if some news with Frank Clark eventually comes down and the Chiefs get a little thinner at the edge rush. If maybe they want to bring in Houston, it'll be interesting to see. I think the Justin Houston thing is going to be a Justin Houston problem, not a Chiefs problem. I think the Chiefs may say that he's still worth it. I mean, I think even when the Chiefs cut Justin Houston, I don't think that was a a statement from the Chiefs that they thought that he was completely done as a productive NFL player. No, it was I think a, it was a contract I think it was statement entirely to do with what he was getting paid. Uh-huh. And I think had the Colts not swooped in and given him a pretty nice deal to play there for however long it's been two seasons with the yeah. Colts. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, had they not given him a pretty good chunk of change to play there for two years, I think the chiefs would have been happy to bring him back at a lower price, which is exactly what's happened with Okafer and some of the guys that they've signed the last two seasons, you know, last season, it was a bunch of guys bringing back at, at either what they were making before, or even a little bit less in some cases for guys to come back and play another season with the team. I think uh, the biggest obstacle to Justin Houston becoming a chief again is Justin Houston. I don't think it's the chiefs, but Alex Okafer back. It's going to be good to see him. He obviously already knows the defense, so he should be able to slide right in when training camp starts in six days what? and be able to contribute. Six and that's actual the next, days? Yeah, that's the next item on the agenda here. I'm just going to read this again, just make sure that this is accurate. Uh, training camp starts in six days. I wrote it in bold in all caps. Uh, it's here, buddy. Football is almost back. Like the steps with OTAs and like the steps with the draft and every time the offseason takes – checks another day off the calendar it just it just hypes me up more and it makes me realize the football's right around the corner and really you know late july we're we're at the point now where you know everything's kind of starting to come together and if you're a team out there that's still looking for a starting quarterback (laughs) denver uh (laughs) it's it's too late 
it's too late in the process. You are pretty much the team is who you have constructed on the roster right now. And I am uh, I'm hyped to see some of these training camp battles. The Chiefs play their first preseason game week one of the preseason in three weeks and two days. Wow. So that's impossible. I know we're, I mean, we're almost there. And once it's week one of the preseason, we're three weeks, four weeks away from the opening, the NFL, the opening weekend, week one. I mean, we're almost there. We're almost there. We have one final news item before we get into our training camp hype trains, get the ball rolling a week early on that. And that is the current state of COVID-19 vaccinations in the league. Obviously, it's not going incredibly well in the country. Now, you are on the Kansas side. Kansas is doing a little bit better than our friends over on the Missouri side who are doing deplorably right now with their vaccination rates. I'm up in Colorado. We're doing okay. But right directly north of us, and I live in northern Colorado, an hour away from us in Wyoming, they're doing even worse than Missouri, which is difficult to do. So so uh, all four people in Wyoming haven't gotten the vaccine? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, basically. Zero out of four. Yep, 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 yep. That's exactly right. So Tom Pelissero broke some news this afternoon regarding the current state of vaccinations in the league. And the NFL cir- circulated internally, which was leaked and then published by Mr. Pelissero what the NFL has circulated the teams about possible ramifications from unvaccinated players and breakouts. And so this is what he tweeted out this afternoon. If a game cannot be rescheduled during the 18 week season in 2021, due to a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, the team with the outbreak will forfeit and be credited with a loss for playoff seating. Now there's a lot to unpack there. And in fact, he expounded on this because there's even an additional wrinkle to this. If a game gets forfeited due to a COVID outbreak, then no players on either team get their game check for that week. Mm. Either team. And you think Mahomes would be pissed? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's starting to get some big game checks. Frank, Frank Clark is still collecting those big game checks. (laughs) You know, the chiefs have some guys that are, certainly going to be making a lot of money, a lot of money on the line. I mean, once you start putting that out there with players, I think that that's probably going to be the final push. Now, I'm not sure that as a practical matter, this is going to change a whole lot. It's very vague. It's very open-ended, right? Like the way this is worded, if a game cannot be rescheduled during the 18-week season. Okay, well, uh, I mean, there were no games that had to be rescheduled into week 18 last year with a 17 game schedule. Now they played a game on Wednesday. They played some games on Tuesdays. They played some games on Saturdays. They, they played games at weird times and they rescheduled teams by weeks. They moved a bunch of things around, but they got all the games in. So this is kind of, to me, seems like a, it's more of a, it's very Roger Goodell is what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be surprised. Like he probably was sitting, he probably doesn't do the writing himself. He probably dictates it. Definitely. He probably has a guy that types up his words, but this has a very Roger Goodell feel to it. It's very subjective, right? Like it's like, well, we're not telling you to get vaccinated and we're not even telling you that you will have to forfeit. Definitely. What we're saying is that we could do this to you and we might, and we probably will. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the NFL taking, an official stance and it doesn't mean that they're litigating it right now. They're not saying exactly what will be involved, but they're trying to send a message and the message is Cole Beasley, you are in trouble. (laughs) You know, you are not going to be able to get away with what you've been getting away with. He's basically tweeting himself into retirement right now. And and if he wants to do that, you know, that's his business. That's his prerogative. But the NFL is just basically saying we don't want to be associated with with the type of people that are not going to take the vaccine seriously. We want our players to take it. And if they don't, there are going to be consequences. Uh, do you want to know what Cole Beasley's tweet update from today was? Because I just checked and he has tweeted his thoughts on I mean, this to, new policy. To be honest, I don't really want to, but I'm sure someone else does. So go ahead. Cole Beasley tweets one hour ago. Nothing has changed. I'm still living freely. Good night. Hmm. So that is Cole Beasley saying, I don't care. I'm not going to get the vaccine. And you're right. He probably is going to get cut. I mean, listen, we've been predicting this for months now, but this is, this is the first day that I've seen very serious plugged in NFL insiders making this point, which is that there are going to be roster decisions made based on this. Yeah. I mean, 
at at the end of the day, it's going to be like a don't ask, don't tell policy. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs are an employer. They're a private employer. They can require their players to get a vaccine. Now, if Patrick Mahomes, who is vaccinated, so we're just using him as a hypothetical, if he said, I'm not going to do it, then obviously the Chiefs wouldn't say, all right, you're off the team. He's too important. (laughs) He's too good. They would accommodate him in the same way that the Lakers accommodated LeBron, who doesn't seem to be vaccinated. But guys that are on the bubble, and Charles Robinson of Yahoo said, you know, once you get past the 40th spot or the 44th spot on the roster, so essentially you're too deep, your starters on offense and defense and your backups on offense and defense. Once you get past those guys and you get to the bottom 10 to 15 guys on the roster, that's where this is really going to come into play because you can't have a guy, you can't have the 45th guy on your roster walking around unvaccinated, no. potentially causing you to forfeit games. No. And, and the precise language of the forfeit of triggering the forfeit. This is another thing that Pelissero shared was that the NFL expressed every club is obligated under the constitution and bylaws to have a team ready to play at the scheduled time and place. A failure to do so is deemed conduct detrimental. There is no right to postpone a game. Postponements will only occur if required by government authorities, medical experts, or at the commissioner's Mm. discretion. So, (laughs) so he basically is just saying, if I want to, then there's nothing else anyone can do about it. If a game is canceled or postponed because a club cannot play due to COVID spike among or resulting from its non-vaccinated players and staff, then the burden of the cancellation or delay will fall on the club experiencing the COVID infection. And what they mean is that the clubs can be held financially responsible for losses. Not only will they take a loss and not only will the players not get paid, but the team can actually be held financially responsible for any losses that happen due to an NFL game being forfeited. So there's in no uncertain terms, Roger Goodell is saying it is off of us. It is on the teams. And if the teams want to police this, then that's up to them. We can't, we're, we're, if we cancel something, it's, uh, it's on you guys. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's a great point. I'm glad that you shared that part of it because I mean, it really is incumbent now on the owners too. I mean, like, when you, you talk about the team being liable for financial losses for having to forfeit a game, I mean, the each individual televised game in the NFL makes, I, I mean, millions of dollars. Each game does. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about the network deals where you have, you know, a CBS game or something like that, or, you know, God forbid it's a national island game where it's mm-hmm. being shown, you know, Sunday night football or Monday night football or Thursday night football. I mean, those games are, if one of those games were to be forfeited, that would be millions of dollars lost to the NFL. And, when you talk about the team being liable, what that really means is the owner of the team being liable. Yeah. You know, the teams obviously are corporate entities, but they're funded by these private owners and Clark Hunt in the chief's case would be kind of on the hook for that. And if there's one thing that billionaires really hate, it's having to <laughs> lose money. I mean, yeah. they, the whole NFL operates on profit. It's, it's money. It's the most profitable sports league in America. There's a reason for that. And this is the NFL saying, like, you you can take your own risks with COVID vaccination, but if it affects our bottom line in any way, you guys are going to be the ones that feel the hurt, not us. Yeah, poor billionaires, poor billionaire owners. They're going to have to lose. And honestly, nothing would piss off a billionaire owner worse than losing $2 million. You know, like something that's not even going to affect right. their like they that nothing will blow, boil their blood more than that. So and the NFL knows that they know that if they hold the owners financially responsible, that that's the way that they convince them to make their team comply. So they're, they're just doing what they got to do. You know, they've tried a lot of different messaging angles, and this one is definitely you can tell we're getting close to training camp. Right. Because yes. this is a yes. this is by far the most aggressive messaging that we've seen so far from the NFL. I mean, you know, we've heard obviously teams, players, coaches go the competitive balance route. Like you don't want to let your teammates down. Yeah. You want to get vaccinated so that we can be in the best shape to win football games. And that's all well and good, but this is now a direct shot at guys like Cole Beasley, who hasn't really responded to that type of argument that says, look, we're, we're coming for your paychecks and your livelihood. And 
we'll see. But it does seem to be moving in the right direction. Uh, Nikki, I'm not going to be able to pronounce her last name. It's like Jahabla or something like that. She was a beat writer for the Broncos. She now works for the uh, Washington football team. But she shared some information about vaccination rates this afternoon uh, that said um, Washington, which two weeks ago had a 36% vaccination rate, which was the lowest in the NFL has improved since then. She has a source. She tweeted this today. No NFL team currently is below 50% in player vaccination rate. She says 14 are above 85% and league-wide, 78% of all players have been fully vaccinated or have had at least one shot. So it does seem like as we get into training camp, with it being just a week away, that we are trending in the right direction, and that's good news for football. Yeah, and training camp hype. It's good news for training camp hype as well. So we've got, let's get into it. So we have, uh, each of us have picked a hype story. And for me, it's the kids on the offensive line. And uh, not only because of how the Super Bowl went, but these, especially Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, their ceilings are very high and they slot in potentially at positions that will, could make this offense unstoppable. So, you know, it's possible that the line coming up this year has no rookies. It could be Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe, LDT, and Mike Remmers. And of course, none of those are the rookie starters, but I am hype for the two rookies and really for Lucas Niang to show out during training camp and preseason and, you know, turn that into Brown, Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Yang. I mean, if, if, Mm. You know, if even one of those guys, if even Creed or or Trey Smith get the starting nod, I'll be hype. But if both of them get there, I will be hype. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And I am certainly hyped to see the offensive line as well, to see the first photos trickling out from practice, because aside from season ticket holders, you know, there's going to be, I think, restricted access for at least the first week. Um if you're thinking about going out to St. Joe, good luck to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, obvi- obviously no it's, it's been a while since you and I have gone. We went in 2018. That's the only time I've ever actually physically been to training camp. We went out together. That was before Patrick Mahomes won an MVP award. And it was bananas in 2018 when Patrick Mahomes was the starter incumbent, you know, the, the starter elect, he was going to be the starter. Like mm-hmm. he had started one He'd NFL started one game. game. And yep. it was bananas then. And obviously, since then, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes has thrown 50 touchdowns in the season and won an MVP award. It's going to be bananas. So for me, my top hype story for training camp is the third pass catcher on the team. And what makes this hype train so compelling for me and so fun for me is that we don't even know what position this guy is going to play. <laughs> yeah. Okay, like it's not just the third wide receiver. It's the third pass catcher on this team. After Tyree Kill, after Travis Kelsey, who is going to be the third guy in the offense? And so obviously it could be a wide receiver. You know, maybe Byron Pringle, who is a former undrafted free agent and has never really had a chance to get starter reps in the NFL. Maybe it's him. You know, he's he's a, a couple months younger than Sammy Watkins, who is a top five overall pick and has been playing in the NFL for years. Maybe it's Byron Pringle. Maybe it is Cornell Powell, the Chiefs fifth round rookie this year, who's mm. an older rookie and, you know, broke out in his last year as a fifth year senior at Clemson. Maybe McCole Hardman, much uh, chagrined, much maligned on this podcast. Maybe he breaks out. And we got a little bit of those rumblings in OTAs. He was getting some juice. He was getting some hype. Maybe it's Antonio Callaway, uh, the former Brown, who the Chiefs have had stashed kind of at the back end of their roster since the end of last year. You know, maybe he makes a little bit of an impact. But it doesn't even have to be the wide receiver position, Taylor, because we've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and we know that he was a great cast catcher at LSU and we didn't really see the pass catching chops quite so much last year now of course the pass game is something that requires more reps and more practice than just handing the ball off and running between the tackles obviously any running back could do that and last year they didn't get the opportunity so much to do that because of COVID and a lot of things were virtual so maybe this will be the year that he breaks out we've got Noah Gray at tight end who obviously is a a little bit undersized to be playing like a true tight end role. But to me, that makes his role as a pass catcher more intriguing because obviously if they're not looking him as a, you know, six foot five, 280 pound guy, that's going to be in there to block, you know, when he's getting snaps on the field, they drafted him to catch passes. 
And so if he's going to play a role, you know, with him and Travis Kelsey, both on the field at the same time, I'm fascinated to see that. So to me, it's about the third pass catcher on this team. I can't wait to see how it all kind of plays out. You know, the hype videos that we get, the hype stories that we get, it's going to be fantastic. Best shape of his life and all that, all that training camp hype. It's the best. Now training camp hype is great, but can we talk about the mail, Austin? I've been dying to talk to you about the mail. (laughs) Let's talk about the mail today. So we had a contribution from great uh, follower Eagles prosecutor at Eagles prosecute one. And uh, clearly he is a, um, I was going to say an always sunny fan, but we've actually been talking to Eagles prosecutor. <laughs> we've, we've determined his true identity. We'll, we'll preserve, we'll preserve his secrecy just in case, but we, we did finally deduce who he was. And it turns out he was pulling quotes from like a top 100, always sunny Google document. Yeah. And just throw him out there as a ruse. And it totally worked for a while. It totally worked. It totally worked. We thought he was an Always Sunny super fan. But he is still an Always Sunny and Chiefs Kingdom super fan. And for that, we very much appreciate him. And his question for the podcast was to replace the original, the best original trilogy Star Wars characters with Chiefs players. And then replace the worst prequel characters with rival NFL players. So I just picked seven of them. And I'm just going to go through those real quick. Uh, for Han Solo. I thought Mahomes, just because of Hans, you know, he, he's kind of an all-around. Never tell me the odds. Never tell me the odds. That's great. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's a smooth talker, and he can shoot, and he can do all the – he can fly. He can. I mean, he's the coolest character in Star Wars, and he's the coolest player on the Chiefs. So, yes, you know. exactly. And then That's... his best friend, his sheepdog best friend, is Garrick Dieter. That's Chewie. You know, that actually works on a deeper level as well. I know I'm just butting in on your casting choices here. Uh, You know, um, you know, Chewbacca is is with Han Solo because he owes him, you know, a Wookiee life debt. And really, Garrick Dieter being on the Chiefs roster or around the Chiefs roster for for three years, (laughs) he owes a life debt to Patrick Mahomes because I'm not sure that Garrick Dieter would have stuck around with this Chiefs team and remained in its orbit if he wasn't Patrick Mahomes' best friend. He certainly would not be being cast on a podcast for Chiefs players in 2021 if he were not best friends with Mahomes. So that's right. He is chewy and he doesn't have many dialogue lines. And that's exactly the way Garrett Dieter is Uh, for Luke. I, I struggled with this because Luke obviously starts off as kind of a whiny bitch. And then he does throughout star Wars progress and become wise and becomes, you know, the elder Jedi and all that stuff. And so to me, that character arc was similar to Kelsey. And when Kelsey first started on the team, he was, very young and and immature and he was getting thrown out of games and he was doing ridiculous getting personal fouls and all that stuff and now you know he's still got the same personality but he's really really matured a lot and he's the elder you know statesman on the team and he he leads by example and that type of stuff so i mean i do think that the maturity angle and plus luke is the main character and if if we're not going to have mahomes the main character kelsey's basically the next main character on the chiefs so that's uh, that's my parallel there. And Again, then, hold on, wait. I have something to add to this. Okay? Of course. I, because I question this casting decision. And when we get into your next casting choice, I will just say <laughs> I had a lot of creative control and feedback on that because your original casting for the next question was terrible. And I made a lot of improvements there. I was very unsure about this Travis Kelsey casting as Luke Skywalker. But I want to say this. And fans of Star Wars will completely understand where I'm coming from here. If there is a real life U.S. major city that is equivalent to Tatooine, it's definitely Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Home of Travis Kelsey. That's pretty good. I like it. That's good. And then, of course, the um, the master, the old wise Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's Andy Reid. Sure, that's, uh, that's pretty easy. So then for my bad characters so first of all bad prequel characters is kind of redundant that's pretty much oh buddy prequel characters prequel has a lot of hardcore fans these days you are gonna rile some people up nah not anybody on this podcast but uh anakin the only reason i cast him as justin herbert is because there was this amazing picture when justin herbert cut his hair where they basically put him side by side with the with the jedi braid and he just looked i just remember cracking up and now that i think about it i don't remember if he looked exactly like anakin or if he just looked like a jedi or what the what the deal was but 
I, I had young Anakin as Herbert there. I do kind of like Justin Herbert quite a bit. So uh, I don't know. I guess that means that I kind of liked Anakin a little from the prequel trilogy. But yeah, listen, have you watched Clone Wars? Not the show, no. And he's so, awesome in that. Well, I mean, he's he's complicated in that. You know, he just is a much deeper character than they had the ability to spread over three movies. Like, I've heard that. I, I get it, though. But I mean, and the thing about Anakin Skywalker that you can't dispute is that he has prodigious Jedi powers. Yes. And Justin Herbert, um, I mean, you know, much as we might make fun of his appearance from time to time or the fact that he plays for a franchise that is definitely going to find a way to get a game forfeited to COVID this year because <laughs> they can lose in any way possible. I, he does have prodigious powers as a quarterback. So he, I think it's a good casting. Choice. Yeah. His team's going to fall much like the Jedi council did. They're going to get execute order 66 hard. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be at the table asking Mahomes <laughs> to be promoted to Jedi master. And he's going to say, you can have a seat at the council, but we're not promoting you to the rank of master. And <laughs> Herbert's going to say that's outrageous. It's unfair. And it'll be great. So the comic relief among, uh, I guess, rival NFL players, Definitely Jar Jar Binks is Drew Locke. And Drew Locke might not even be um, high enough. I was going to say, you're you're using Rival very loosely here. I am using it very loosely. And I think it's something that we might prove by the end of even week two or three, or maybe even before week one, that that we're never going to hear from Drew Locke again. But he's Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar's an idiot. Drew Locke's an idiot. Uh, He dances around and looks like a fool. And that's kind of, he's very... Misa Drew Lock. I hate him. You know, <laughs> that's good. I like that. And also, just to add to this choice, which I also find to be an inspired casting choice, you know, just like Jar Jar Binks was relegated to a very minor role in episodes two and three after he was <laughs> when widely they realized, panned. That's great. After he was widely panned in episode one. This, this is also where Denver fans and certainly their front office are getting with, with Drew Locke. So <laughs> that's he, a- is, he is being Jar Jar Binks hard straight to the bench with you, Drew Locke. That is perfect. And so then, uh, of course, Natalie Portman's character, Padme Amidala, you know, we gotta we gotta throw Derek Carr under the bus. Derek <laughs> Derek Carr's Podme. Um, I'm sure he wears more makeup than she did, and uh, I'm sure he w- is in love with Justin Herbert or something. I don't know. J- Carr sucks. Podme was fine, I guess. She mostly sucked. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I like it. We've got one here from the artist chief at Choreo Four, <laughs> who is going to be making a special guest appearance on the podcast next week. Question for the podcast: Forget the TV show and the books as far as how they played out. Oh, I have replace <laughs> replace the kings slash queens of Game of Thrones with current Chiefs players and give a synopsis on how the Game of Thrones plays out. Now, we took some creative liberties with this question because the kings and queens of Game of Thrones are frankly not that interesting. Like, it's a war of five kings, and fucking what's-his-face in the Iron Islands is <laughs> a king. Balon. Yeah, Balon Greyjoy. Balon Greyjoy is a king in the War of Five Kings. Come on, he's the yeah. king of like a crappy castle, and then he gets pushed off a bridge. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna let you do the first three here because these are, and you had some feedback from me on these choices, but <laughs> I'm gonna let you take the first three. Go. All right. So we we really struggled when we were discussing this one with casting Patrick Mahomes because I didn't struggle at all. I came <laughs> up with this instantly. Sure, sure, sure. Because you can't really. Game of Thrones characters are mostly very dumb and they mostly have horrible endings and they mostly mostly bad people. They're mostly bad people. And there's just really not a lot of people that fit with Patrick Mahomes. But if you think about a character that never made any um, moral mistakes, if you think about a character that had high physical ability, and if you think about a character that survived through the end and basically is kicking ass to this day, that's Drogon the dragon. That, oh, yeah. that is an Austin submission there that I love. That's, you know, Mahomes, none of the other characters can live up to Patrick Mahomes, but Drogon was, he kicked ass throughout the entire show and, and books. And he's a miracle. He's the last dragon. He, he was, he was birthed from a dragon egg that everybody thought was dormant. And, you yeah. know, they thought it was just basically like fossilized and turned to rock. And then he grows up to be the most powerful dragon of the three of them. And he's the only one that survives. One of them gets shot down by a fucking bolt thrower over <laughs> the ocean by the iron Islands fleet. It's terrible. terrible. One of them gets, one of them gets speared and becomes an ice dragon. It's ridiculous. Terrible. But Drogon, not only does he survive, he melts the Iron Throne at the end, and then he flies off into the sunset. He's like physically the most powerful, strongest beast in 
Westeros and Esteros, Essos, the whole the whole universe. It's Patrick Holmes. So then we thought of a smaller in stature, but very physically skilled and and, and you quick. know and quick. And Arya Stark and Tyreek Hill made a perfect marriage there. That's something that you know Arya was a fan favorite. She you know, with all of her faceless and killing other people and stuff. I mean, she was always up to fun stuff and Tyreek is always scoring fun touchdowns and making fun plays on the field and clearly has ingratiated himself in chief's kingdom. That's basically, even if you find people that didn't like game of Thrones, they all liked Arya. Like she was great. And so Tyreek Hill, Arya Stark. And, and you have, this was an inspired casting. Choice. This was so, you know, Sean Bean, Ned Stark, he is the uh, the the main character in the first season before his his Spoilers. moral compass. Yeah, I guess I, I was thinking about whether I should say this or not, but no, whatever. Come on, it's it's way forever. too old. Yeah, uh, his moral compass leads him to be beheaded at the Baratheons, uh, and that is he has a lot of similarities with Alex Smith. And I know it's casting for uh, current Chiefs players, but obviously I couldn't resist casting Alex here for a number of reasons. Um, he is very, his moral compass is very straight. He was basically beheaded when they drafted yeah. Patrick Mahomes and, and they had to ship him off. And then he almost broke his leg and died. And, uh, he's had a very harrowing experience in the NFL and Ned Stark obviously, uh, had an incredibly harrowing experience. So Ned, Alex felt like that was a good marriage for sure. Now, we're going to get into some of my casting choices, Go for which it, are A++. We've got Tyrion Lannister, who you originally had cast as Tyreek Hill, which, which is funny, but it's not good. It's not good. We need somebody who's small, and I think that's what you were going for there. Was it was. The, the stature. Which it was a rough draft casting, and you it destroyed it. Completely makes sense, but I've got the honey badger, Tyron Matthew, as Tyrion. Not only do Tyrion and Tyron have very similar sounds you know, be very easy to just well that's fair <laughs> uh but Tyrion Lannister is small but he's very good at scheming and that perfectly describes the honey badger now honey badger does have more of a volatile temper but I think Tyrion and Tyron is a good crossover casting choice here Tyrion now, got pissed at some people he he let some people know he did he did and if Tyrion had tweets, he would definitely be the kind of guy that would delete tweets. So uh, we've got Chris Jones. I'm casting as Tormund, Giants Bane, the life of the party. You mentioned the Tormund system last yes. week, which was which was great. I don't know about Chris Jones, you know, doing the Tormund system, but Chris Jones, big life of the party. That's your Tormund, Giants Bane casting. Now, I'm really proud of this one. Ober and Martell a fixture in season four and unfortunately only in season four, mm. but one of the most memorable characters and one of the best characters in game of Thrones played memorably by Pedro Pascal. I'm casting Travis Kelsey. Listen, Oberon was badass. He was amazing at everything. He was a great womanizer. He was also a great fighter and yeah. he had all the best lines. He was the life of the party. He was witty. He was smart. He was badass. He was great at fighting the red Viper you know, you got the red motif going on there. It's yeah. Travis Kelsey. It's Travis don't you, Kelsey. Don't you think if Travis Kelsey's nickname wasn't Zeus, it basically would be the Red Viper? Yes. And in fact, we should rebrand him as the Red Viper. He's the Red Viper of Kansas City. And keeping with the dumping on Cleveland theme, I mean, Dorn, you know, it's like a big desert. It's probably like the Cleveland of Westeros. Mm. So I like it. Travis Kelsey as Ober and Martell. We've got some some quick hitters here. The Mountain obviously known for his humongous size that's and killing Oberon Martell and killing unfortunately Oberon Martell hopefully that does not play out in real life the mountain is Orlando Brown Jr. the Chiefs left tackle now this one's good too Frank Clark I'm casting him as the most useless character <laughs> in Game of Thrones it's Bran Stark yeah. King Bran Stark okay I don't know I, <laughs> spoilers Bran Stark becomes the king at the end of Game of Thrones it's Bran outrageous. the Shark Stark <laughs> Perfect. Samuel Tarley, whose face is always in the book, the one who's always doing the research so that everybody can be successful. That's obviously Andy Reid, although you could cast probably like Maester Eamon, you know, some of those older Davos, some of those older Wizen characters, but just in terms of book smarts and kind of how they uh, how they play out. And how Samuel they're shaped. Tarly, and how they're shaped, <laughs> Samuel Tarley and Andy Reid. And then this is a good one, Braun, the sellsword, the, the salt of the earth, you know, fighter who has to scratch and claw to survive. 
that's Dan Sorensen. Okay. Yeah. You know, former undrafted free agent, the gritty that he's, they call him dirty Dan. Okay. Yeah. Like that's Braun for yeah. sure. He's, he would definitely be a sellsword in the universe of game of thrones so braun definitely would have sniffed out that fourth down conversion by the texans no oh, question about absolutely it. would have for sure he would have so yeah. thank you for that question Corey. that was great as far as how it would play out boy i don't know but hopefully frank clark wouldn't be the king at the end yeah exactly so thanks for the questions Corey. appreciate that uh we've got one on our discord from our guy casey sorta rican and he asked do we think harrison buckers over his extra point yips uh, does an improved offensive line make us more likely to go for two more often given his woes? So kind of a two-part question there. Um, you know, I, the yips are very interesting with Butker's extra points because he's got such a long, accurate leg that you kind of wonder, you know, what the deal, why can't he make a, a 31 yard extra point when he could make a 59 yard game winning field goal. But um I do think that it's probably more small sample size noise and that over time in Butker's career, it'll probably normalize out and he'll be a average to above average extra point kicker. So I do think he's probably over it. If I had to guess uh, an improved offensive line, make us more likely to go for two more often. I don't think Andy's more likely to change his play calling based on the offensive line. But if we see market improvement in short yardage situations. And if we see the line get a bunch of push and play like one of the top three lines in the NFL, which they clearly have the ceiling to do, then I could see Andy being more confident in all of his play calls. And that could include going for two more often. I don't think he would factor in Butker to that decision-making, but I do think it's likely if the line just kicks total ass this year, that he decides to go for it more. I agree. We've got one from Tojo144. A recent, a recent inductee to the Birds of War with his incredible single game performance last week. <laughs> he is a member of the Always Sunny Fantasy League as well, thanks to his numerous contributions. You need to replace each main character of It's Always Sunny, Frank, Dennis, D, Charlie, and Mac, with one character and only one character from each of the following. Marvel, Marvel Multiverse, Justice League, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Watchmen. Tell us who you picked for each role and the general plot line and title of their first episode together. Now I'm going to go through my casting choices, but you cast Dennis. So I'm going to let you do that one. Okay. So for Dennis, I picked from Lord of the Rings, the main bad guy Sauron. And <laughs> there are a couple funny parallels there. Number one, um, obviously Dennis is very self involved and, and, you know, he's kind of got that villain type of personality to him. And I just thought it would be hilarious to cast Sauron in the gang, hanging out at the bar with everybody being Dennis. So uh, that's my cast there. Does Sauron even talk like canonically? I know he doesn't in the movies, but does he like, does he just communicate? Yeah, he has or no, he has lines. And, and in fact, in the second age, he appears as a very beautiful looking human, um, Aramar or someone, I forget. It starts with an A, but no, he he's throughout, he's extremely old and uh, Tolkien's shown him talk in, on numerous occasions. All right, so we've got Frank up next. I'll take this one. This is our Star Wars casting choice. We're going with Jabba the Hutt, both wealthy, essentially gangsters. You know, Jabba's always out there blasting people. Frank's always out there blasting people. Corpulent, short, <laughs> disgusting Gross, disgusting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but very rich you know just pretty much able to do whatever they want because of their immense wealth and you know Jabba and Sauron we're off to a, a great start here <laughs> that's right so we're gonna we're gonna turn things around a little bit and for Mac we are casting a hero a hero from the Justice League and that would be Shazam uh mostly because of the being a tiny kid and growing up into a giant um superhero at will so Shazam obviously is Billy Batson and he can start off as a little kid, but then he shazams and he becomes gigantic. And so that's skinny Mac to fat Mac. Uh, they also look decently similar with the dark hair and kind of Hollywood look. So uh, that's Mac and Shazam. Now I was in charge of casting the Watchmen character uh, because Watchmen is, it was a great show, the HBO series, but the graphic novel and the film, which is actually a great ad adaptation, Zack Snyder for once, you know, did a pretty bang up job with that movie. It's one of my favorite pieces of media that exists and so i took on the watchman casting choice this was tough but i'm casting charlie as rorschach and if you think about it it makes now at first first glance you're thinking that doesn't make any sense <laughs> rorschach is crazy and he's like kind of a fascist and in fact in the hbo series he's like you know a, a 
crypto fascist icon. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a weird choice. But then you think about it some more. And, you know, Rorschach lives a very Charlie-esque existence. He is he lives in absolute squalor. He spends yeah. most of his days when he's not in disguise fighting crime, walking the streets as a sort of a doomsday prophet. His uh, mother was also a whore. Yep. And uh, he frequently saw his mother banging banging dudes when he was growing up. And his father's name was him. his father's name was Charlie. <laughs> his father's name was Charlie. Uh, there's a lot of similarities there. I feel like if uh, he likes obviously dressing up in costume, that's something that they both have in <laughs> <Yeah>. mind. Rorschach <laughs> is sort of like the darkest form of Charlie. Like if you took Charlie and took him out of a comedic show, like It's Always Sunny, and put him in a, a serious drama, I feel like you'd actually get pretty close to Rorschach. So yeah. uh, a little bit of a, an off-the-wall uh, off casting choice there, but I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I like it. So that leaves D and the Marvel Universe and... And so we were trying to think of the useless chick that D is because too many female characters in all of these, really all these mediums are, are strong willed and they're, they're redeemable and they're, you know, they're great characters. And D is kind of a piece of shit, just like everyone else in the gang. Uh, so Mantis from Gal- guardians of the galaxy, she isn't a piece of shit, but she's definitely like the least profile superhero among all of the Avengers. So yeah, what we, even is her superpower? Uh, she, she has like she, antenna. She, no, she touches people and she feels their feelings and she lets them sleep and she like controls their, their bodily sleep functions and stuff. She's got some weird, weird controls. But with that being said, the plot of this episode and the oh title. Boy. So I came up with this. It might be a little long winded, but you know what? It's our podcast and we're going to do what we want. So I'm just going to go through what happens on this episode. So, <clears throat> We start off and Sauron and Jabba the Hutt are hanging out at Patty's Pub. Sauron, way too casually, asks Jabba if his fingers are small enough to wear normal human rings or if he just gets his rings specially sized. Jabba mumbles something in Huddy's about his jewelry is just something that he'd need to take off when he's banging whores so he doesn't wear jewelry. Shazam bursts into the room and immediately starts to lecture Jabba about the cops getting called again after some of Jabba's slaves escaped last night. As Shazam and Jabba are arguing about the morality of running his criminal enterprise from their bar, Sauron is trying to take measurements of both of their hands. When Shazam asks Sauron what the hell he's doing, Sauron just says, oh, he was noticing how huge his hands were. Shazam reminds Sauron that he might be as tall as a skyscraper right now, but he can also turn into a kid and be as tiny as a postage stamp. So Mantis and Rorschach then enter from the front mid-conversation, with Rorschach dismissing Mantis's pleas to help him. The gang asks him help with what, and she says, Rorschach can't sleep because he's afraid of killing rats. And Rorschach interrupts her, I'm not afraid of killing rats. I'm afraid of why I'm not, not afraid of killing rats. You, you mm. wouldn't understand. To which Sauron suggests he heard about this ring that's supposed to help you sleep, but nobody's listening to him at all. Title <laughs> card rolls, the gang loses control. Later that night, Rorschach and Mantis enter Rorschach's apartment, still continuing their conversation about his nightmares. Rorschach begins to explain to Mantis why he's having such a hard time with all the rat bashing. She does her Mantis mind meld. She touches his head, uh, feels his feelings, and he's recounting his awful childhood. So he's raised by a prostitute mother and no father. Everyone in his life was abusive towards him from his mother. to his He probably survived an abortion too. He definitely survived an abortion for sure. To his boarding school teachers, they're all abusive to him. But one day at home, he befriends this rat with a missing ear. And over time of feeding it and caring for it, it taught him what it felt like to be loved. Mantis is crying by this point, feeling his painful memories, you know, right with him as, as he's recounting them. One day, Rorschach says, when I got home from school, I ran to my room to greet Mr. Squiggles, but Mantis lets out a blood-curdling scream, but not from Rorschach's memory. She had opened her eyes only to see Jabba out of his mind, wasted on spice, pounding off in the corner, staring right at him. You see, he had moved his spice trafficking business into their small apartment after being scolded by Shazam, but the temptation of living in the same room with all those drugs was too much, and he just consumed all of them, didn't know where he was, started pounding off. So Mantis sprints out of the apartment in horror, and as she passes Jabba, he waves goodbye to her, and there's a tiny glint of a golden ring flashing briefly on his meaty hands. So Mantis throws the door open at Patty's pub, and she rushes inside to tell Shazam what just happened. She finds him in his child form as Billy Batson in hushed conversation with a group of local hoodlums at the back of the bar. They exchange what looked like a small package of money and a small package for money and the hoodlums exit through the alleyway door. Shazam then turns back to his superhero form and hands the money over to Sauron in the back office. Mantis confronts the two. Sauron laughs and says that he needed Billy to be the face of his new drug empire. Now that Jabba's taken his business elsewhere, he can run it right from the bar. 
Horrified, Manta says she thought she could trust Shazam and exits the bar crying. And as she leaves, Sauron and Shazam shake and a golden ring is affixed on Shazam's hand. Mantis then returns to her apartment, shaken from the night's events, and soon Rorschach shows up at her door. He says that he tried to sleep and after, after she left, but the memories were too vivid, and he needs her to put him to sleep permanently. She says she can't do that. He's her friend. She can help him control his feelings instead, but he won't have it, and he insists that she put him out of his misery. They struggle, wrestling to the ground, and Rorschach wraps his hands around her neck, screaming for her to help him, help make the memories go away, help me sleep forever. And as Mantis begins to lose consciousness, she reaches up, touches his forehead with her powers and knocking them both out at the same time. The last image she sees as his hands slip from around her neck is a shimmering ring on one finger. Sauron walks through the door of the apartment and places his final ring on her unconscious finger. Totally in control of the gang with his new forged rings of power, he can finally run things the way he's wanted to without any of their interference and ridiculous ideas. But as he returns to Patty's pub to instruct Shazam on the next phases of their drug empire, a rat springs down from the bar and latches onto Sauron's hand, biting off his ringed finger and scurries off into the rat hole. As the rat disappears, it turns its head to reveal a missing ear. Sauron mutters, God damn it, Mr. Squiggles. Roll credits. That was quite a journey that you took us on there. Well, that's uh, Tojo wanted to know what the gang would be up to, and that's what they'd get up to. That is what a gang of Sauron, Jabba, Shazam, Rorschach, and Mantis would get up to. No doubt about it. That brings us to a great segment that we call Ask Ourselves Anything, because sometimes we have great questions for ourselves. And this is a question from me to you, inspired by the Loki series. Just taking another gander down superhero lane. we got a little bit of a superhero theme going on today. If variants existed in our universe, and spoilers, by the way, if you guys haven't watched Loki yet, whatever, you know, it's been out for a month, so get on it, I guess. What variants of Chiefs players' coaches would be out there, and what would their nexus events that caused them to diverge from the sacred timeline be? Taylor, go. <laughs> so Mahomes would definitely be a four times sitting U S president. I think that is, uh, unquestionably unquestionable. He would have realized his true power would come from politics and he would have, you know, run the country and been, everyone would be really happy for it. That's why he's four term. Cause everyone, when it came time, when his second term was up, they were like, why would we ever want another human to be in charge? So that's Mahomes. Uh, honey badger would definitely be in prison. He would have murdered someone in a fit of rage. I, I really never used to lean into the honey badger rage scenario quite like I have recently, but I've, I've realized that he's got a lot of anger in him and he uses it to play an awesome game of football, but he's a mad guy. He is. Yeah. He's a mad man for sure. And um, I think Travis Kelsey has Hollywood in his alternate universe. I think he would probably be starring on the Jersey shore. I think he would have, yeah. You know, he he really has a ton of personality. And if he wasn't playing football, there would be a camera in front of him for some reason. And so uh, he would be a star of a reality show. And why not the Jersey Shore? It's very it's very Travis, I think. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I like where you're going with all of those. Those variants could absolutely exist in some universe out there. And they're probably being hunted by the Time Variance Authority right now. That's right. We've got another Ask Ourselves Anything also submitted by me. The Seattle Kraken, Taylor, just completed an expansion draft in the NHL, which I'm sure has very different rules from the NFL, which we're going to dive into here in a second. But if we were Brett Beach and the NFL was doing an expansion draft requiring each existing team to put five players up for selection, which five players on the current roster would you expose for selection? Now, here are the rules, as I understand them from Wikipedia, per the last expansion draft, the NFL did, which was in 2002 for the Houston Texans. You can't put kickers or punters out there. Okay. You can't put any player who is an unrestricted free agent after this season. And that's going to get a little tricky because the chiefs only have 36 players under contract for 2022. So we're going to have to find some guys who are going to be under contract for more than one year to expose. You can't put any players who are on IR during the previous year's training camp, which is a little bit weird. So I guess guys that, went on IR before the season and then didn't play the whole year. You can't put them on the list. You can only put one player out of the five guys that you have to expose. Only one guy can have more than 10 years of NFL experience. Now there doesn't appear to be any restriction on like popping on a UDFA. <laughs> you signed like a multi-year deal. So like uh, quarterback Shane, you Kelly, 
uh, from SMU. Um, he's got like a three-year UDFA contract. I don't think it's fully guaranteed, but like if we're allowed to put him, him on there, then, you know, see a Shane, you're going on the list of five, but I'm going to give you five guys. I'm not going to take advantage of this loophole here because it's got to be, there's got to be some language in there that says you, you can't do that. Right. So uh, I'm going to put Frank Clark up as one of my five. Now he is a starter on the chiefs, but the way that the expansion draft works is special and unique in NFL canon uh, because the selecting team takes on all cap liabilities and salaries. So even something like a trade, the Chiefs would be on the hook for Frank Clark's signing bonus, and there would be some dead cap associated with that. Not so in an expansion draft. If somebody wants to come out and take Frank Clark off of our hands, they're responsible for all of his current and future salary. And so this is actually, you know, it's kind of an interesting strategic choice, right? Like, because you're an expansion team, a lot of the teams are going to be putting out five shitty players out there, right? Like, you got to you got to take your contributors, your starters, where you can find them, even if he is vastly overpaid and has a pending felony charge against him. <laughs> you know, yeah, so it might be point. a way for might be a way for the Chiefs to clear some cap. I'm also putting Anthony Hitchens out there, even though he's a starting linebacker for the Chiefs in 2021, for the same reason. He's got some big cap liabilities. He still has two years left on his deal. The Chiefs could get out after this season, his third year with the Chiefs, but it would be a little bit tricky for them to do that. So I'm going to dangle Anthony Hinchins out there and he's, you know, probably an average linebacker. Maybe somebody will uh, take on that contract because, you know, again, it's an expansion team. What are they going to spend that salary cap money on? We'll put out Colin Saunders, who I really like as a person, but has not contributed very much as a uh, you know, as a player, he was inactive for most of last year. I can't remember the last game that he actually really got into in any meaningful way other than maybe week 17. Same deal with Darwin Thompson, a running back. He's probably fourth on the running back depth chart right now, generously uh, yeah. behind obviously Clyde, Daryl uh, Williams, and of course, Jared, uh, McKinnon. Jared McKinnon, the jet. That's right. Thank you. Um, and so I'm going to put him out there and then Nick Allegretti, an offensive lineman. The Chiefs obviously have mad offensive line depth, which is crazy to say after the offensive line they tried it out in the Super Bowl. But Nick Allegretti, uh, he's been serviceable in spurts for the Chiefs, but he simply is not. He's not going to be. He's not ever going to be a star. I would not feel bad about losing him. Now, your answer is the interesting answer for podcast listeners because they know all five of those players, and that's those are fun choices. But I'm going to answer what the team would actually do, and what the team would actually do is pick their five shittiest players that that line up with those parameters. And that is Marlon Character, cornerback signed through 2024. Zane Anderson, linebacker signed through 2024. Riley Cole, linebacker signed through 2024. Devin Key, safety signed through 2024. And Malik Herring, defensive end, signed through 2024. Well, I'm sure our podcast listeners will appreciate that answer from you. I, uh, mm. I'm glad that you took Ask Ourselves Anything seriously. I did. We're going to close this out with a draft. We haven't done a draft in a couple of weeks, and this is going to be a banger. We're going to draft It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode titles. We're going to pick the 10 best titles. Now, let me pull up my draft board here. Do you remember who drafts first? I draft first this time. Bullshit. I draft first this time. No, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to trust you. I'm going to assume that you're keeping track of this somewhere. I bet I you're am. not. I am. The funny thing about this draft is that you know, we're drafting based on the names, not the episodes, which is hard for us to differentiate because there are a lot of, of amazing, amazing episodes and there are a lot of great names, but they don't necessarily match up all the time. But right. there are clearly some some favorites in, in the clubhouse. And I think the first one that I thought of when I was when I was thinking of this question of which one I would like to draft very high was McPoyle versus Ponderosa Trial of the Century. And I really like it for a number of reasons. Um, it kind of sets an epic stage of, you know, it's very intriguing, the trial of the century, and it's got both sides of the trial in the title. And it's, it gives you a lot of information without really giving you any information. And it's, uh, it's hilarious because all the characters, McPoyles and Ponderosas, ridiculous. Um, so I, I like that one a lot. That's my first choice. That is the number one overall pick. That's interesting. That's not what I would have gone with. I have my top two on my board, still on the board. Sure. And I'm going to take them back to back here. <laughs> you know, we had sort of suggested originally, and we may still do this as a draft down the road, probably next off season, because we're almost back into football mode where we can have football content all the time on this podcast. And we don't have to fill time with ridiculous diversions like this draft <laughs> that we're doing. But 
I often think of the title in the context of the last line before the title card rolls and for, or before it's always sunny in Philadelphia rolls. And for me, the first episode that immediately came to mind was the Nightman cometh. Yeah. And that is going to be my choice at number two overall. This is an iconic sunny episode with an iconic title as uttered by Charlie Kelly. The cold open ends with him being asked what the musical is called. He says, the Nightman cometh. That is of course the episode title. It is a good one. Number three overall, I'm taking an episode that I've been thinking about a lot lately. We've been riffing about it over in the sunny listener league. And that is Wolf Cola, <laughs> a public relations nightmare. Yeah. Wolf Cola a public relations nightmare I like because it is a title that in itself uh, is a callback to earlier jokes in the show. Wolf Cola is a dummy soda company that Frank is using to launder money in earlier seasons of It's Always Sunny. And then we learn in Wolf Cola, a public relations nightmare that he actually has created the soda and it's doing very well with, he thinks the Jews <laughs> and Boca Raton, but in fact, in his coke-addled brain, he's confused the Jews and Boca Raton for Boko Haram, the terrorist organization. <laughs> so it ends with Boko Haram saying we're fueled by Wolf Cola and then uh, hijinks ensue. Wolf Cola, public relations nightmare, my pick at number three overall. I love it. So for number four, I'm going to go with a play on a very famous, um, I'm not sure if it started as a book, but uh, you know, Flowers for Algernon, was that a play first, maybe? It probably yeah, was a play I think, first. I think a play, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so Flowers it's for a short Charlie. Story. It's, a, it's a short story. Sure. Okay. So Flowers for Charlie is just a great, Flowers for Algernon is, uh, is a very good um, kind of, parallel for this story where charlie gets his brain pill and he's got a but again the the plot of the episode i guess isn't as important as the title i really like puns and i really like kind of changing you know reference humor like that and having a simple title of flowers for charlie which if you don't know flowers for algernon you might not understand that the flowers for charlie is is not actual flowers but if you do understand it it's a great reference humor Flowers for Algernon is a short story by American writer Daniel Keyes, which was written in 1958, first published in April of 1959, and won the Hugo Award for Best Short Story in 1960, science fiction. It's a laboratory mouse who's undergone surgery to increase its intelligence. Yes, which is exactly what happens, roughly, except Charlie succumbs to the placebo effect that episode was written by the two jabronis who show ran game of thrones and yeah. that was probably by far that episode is probably their greatest creative contribution ever no doubt at all uh number five overall i am going with a very famous sunny episode which is charty mcdennis the game of games mm, it, it, it's a point. it's a good amalgamation of all their names char d mac dennis and obviously the game of games sets you up for this epic kind of competition between the gang for playing Charlie McDennis. Charlie McDennis has spawned a lot of, you know, people talking about the rules and playing it in real life. And we've had a couple mailbag questions for it and stuff too. And I just think it's a really clever title. Yeah. I, I were sensing a little bit of a theme here. I'm going to go with my pick at number six with another episode title that sort of references a concept and sort of a recurring joke on the show. And that is Charlie work. Yeah. And Charlie work is not an episode title that would make any sense to a first time viewer of the show, but to longtime viewers of the show, by the time you get to the episode, Charlie work, you're very acquainted with the concept of Charlie work, which is your, your basic, um, slimes and sludges and you know getting naked anything to do with rats anything to do with bleach bleach tastes good etc and so the entire episode is uh, shot in the you know framework that's kind of been on vogue which is it's shot in a way that makes it look like it's a single take but the episode title is obviously a reference to the concept of charlie work which in itself makes it very sort of funny um then with my pick on, and this, by the way, that was my number three on my board. So mm -hmm. uh, for my draft board, this is going extremely well. I'm going to take picks number three and four on my board at six and seven overall, because we just had different boards. That's fine. We like different, we like different episode titles. I'm going to go with Dennis Reynolds and erotic, erotic life. life. Yeah, of course. Dennis Reynolds and erotic life kind of says it all. It is the title of Dennis's memoir in which he serves as the personal sexual advisor to John Bon Jovi. Uh, it is a great episode, but the title of course says it all Dennis Reynolds 
an erotic life. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a very good one. That was high up on my list as well. Uh, so I have some fun options at eight and nine. Actually, we probably could do this for 50 episodes and still have a lot of great options. Um, sure. We could draft all of them if we had an infinite amount of time, but we could, I like at number eight, Charlie rules the world. It's a, on my board as well. It's a very, very good twist. Um, <laughs> Dennis says, yeah, if you rule the world, I'll blow myself. And then it cuts to the cut, the title and it's Charlie rules the world. So they're clearly setting up that Charlie is going to, in fact, rule the world. He does. And it Dennis an, does, in fact, blow himself. He does. And it's through an online video game. It's very good. Uh, good, good play there. Like that a lot. Um, and then for number nine, I am going to go with the storm of the century. The, the storm of the century is a real fun one where Philadelphia gets blasted by a hurricane and they're obsessed with Jackie DiNardo. And um, I really like just the simple titles. I like the ones, you know, there's a lot of the gang, this and the gang that, and those are fine, but the storm of the century is, is concise and it's descriptive and it, it sets the stage. It's very fun. Boy. Well, you're going to give me the number five pick on my board yeah, and number we had, 10 overall because you, we had completely different boards. That's completely fine. But I am going to go with Patty's pub home of the original kitten mittens. Sure. And as you said, uh, obviously a bit of the theme here, we went with, we went with none of the gang titles. Nope. Obviously most of the titles are the gang blank, this and the gang blank that, which is how we also title our podcast. Right. We'll throw throwback and celebration of the show. But uh, these titles that are sort of off-brand are more descriptive and they're more interesting. And so for the purposes of this draft, they're flying up the board. Patty's Pub, home of the original Kitten Mittens. If your cat's fat, skinny, or an (laughs) in-between, Kitten Mittens are for you. You're so stupid. (laughs) That's our draft. Taylor, you got McPoyle versus Ponderosa, Trial of the Century. You got Flowers for Charlie. You got Charlie McDennis, The Game of Games. You got Charlie Rules the World. You got the Storm of the Century. I got Cleaning Up, Nightman Cometh, Wolf Cola, Public Relations Nightmare, Charlie Work, Dennis Reynolds and Erotic Life, and Patty's Pub, home of the original Kitten Mittens. We'll see you guys next week. It's always sunny in Chief's Kingdom. Mm-hmm.